Um, for some strange reason, I always get the uh, after the lunch session. Um, so I have the privilege of ministering to you guys while we digest our lunch together. Um, the title of the message is Suffering and the Mission of the Church. Suffering and the Mission of the Church. And I, I know the word suffering means different things to different people. The word suffering solicits different responses. Uh, some see suffering as something to be avoided altogether. We try to pray it away. We try to bypass suffering and hardship at all, if possible. Find ways to use God as a genie in a bottle or a tool to attain our, our ideal life would be a life without suffering. In another word, we think that suffering is bad. Others see suffering as a necessary evil. It's something that we simply have to go through. So the issue isn't if we will encounter suffering, is how we will deal with it. Aristotle said, suffering becomes beautiful when anyone bears great calamities with cheerfulness, not through insensibility, but through greatness of mind. You guys see what Aristotle tried to do there? Aristotle tried to face suffering with the strength of the human spirit, the greatness of mind. Human as the center of the universe can and will conquer suffering uh, through sheer will. But Buddhism teaches something else, doesn't it? Buddhism teaches that the root of all suffering is attachment, attachment to desires. So the answer to suffering simply is by emptying oneself of every desire. So when you don't want, you don't need, you don't think, you don't feel anything, well, then the problem with suffering is solved. We cannot hold a missiology conference without talking, um, without mentioning suffering. We all know that missions is hard. To complete the Great Commission requires sacrifice. Now, I grew up in the church that, that did not talk about suffering, um, did not talk about missions too much. Uh, it wasn't until I went to college in Canada that I realized that churches actually hold missions conferences or mission weekends. I still remember as a college freshman when my church invited a missions speaker as our annual missions conference. The speaker got up to the pulpit, and he was a missionary serving in China. And uh, five minutes into his message, he just stopped articulating words, and he just started bawling. He was crying his eyes out. The only words that he could, uh, he could muster out is the people in China need Jesus. The people in China need Jesus. And he repeated that several times, and he couldn't go on. So uh, the leaders of the church got up and, and uh, escorted him down and finished the session for him. Um, I remember as a college freshman, as a young man, um, walking away from that session thinking, dude, I will never want to be a missionary. Uh, these are long-suffering people. Like, what's wrong with these guys? He can't even finish. I mean, he, he couldn't even finish uh, his message. Well, fast forward 15 years later, our family were serving as missionaries um, on the field uh, in Papua New Guinea. Uh, in 2009, uh, we moved in with two other families uh, to live with a tribal people group that had no access to Bible translation, that never had a complete gospel message presented to them. They would be what we would call an unreached language group. Uh, the living condition was hard. We had to use collect rainwater. Under our house, we, we used six truck batteries to collect solar panels. It was off the grid uh, living. Uh, it wasn't easy, but by God's grace, uh, our team, the three families, we were able to learn two languages. We started Bible translation. We presented uh, the gospel in 2012, and fast forward to 2017, today, um, there is a people group in the South Pacific. They're, they live on the little island without missionaries, but on that island, because somebody brought the gospel to them, there is an independent, mature, indigenous church worshiping Jesus right now. So, so, so that's kind of our ministry background. But I want to share a little story in the midst of our uh, missionary career to kick off this session. Uh, in 2015, 
Um, we presented the gospel. There's an infant church over there. So our team, all the, um, all the families on our team, we were neck deep in discipling these first-generation believers. But I remember on February 1st, 2015, remember we were as remote as you could get. We were just way out there. Uh, I told my teammates that I had to take the morning off. I told my teammates I had to take the, the morning off because that on February 1st, 2015, that was Super Bowl Sunday. Um, and the New England Patriots were playing the Seattle um, Seahawks. Uh, I've been a Patriots fan for the last 20 years because they're a symbol of character, honesty, and... Um, um, but anyways, um, now... Know that at that time, 2015, six years into my missionary career, I have not, um, I, I had not been able to watch any sporting events live. So we could only track the game through our remote satellite system. We pay a lot of money for it to get a little bit of bandwidth. Guys, in 2015, our internet speed was 256 KB. And it was not capital K. I mean, it, it was, that was how slow it was. So there I was. I was taking the morning off. I was sitting in my tribal office, just, ply, you know, just surrounded by plywoods and, you know, no fan, no AC. I was there frantically pressing the refresh button on my computer, trying to get the scores updated every two minutes. And, and that was the most uh, exciting. Um, that, that was my most exciting day in that whole year. But you guys remember that game, though, right? You guys remember that game? The, lots of turnovers. It was a tight game. And the New England Patriots won that game on the last-minute miracle play. Malcolm Butler intercepted uh, a pass and, and, and turned the game around. Um, but, again, I was sitting behind this slow Internet connection. I didn't know if my team was going to pull it out or not. So that was, the, I mean, the slowness of the Internet added to the frustration. It added to the intensity. So when my team finally won, man, it was my, 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 my I, I was shouting, I was beating stuff so much. My, my German coworker came out of his house to check on me to see if I was okay. But uh, that was the best day of my life in 2015. I mean, I mean, that was something that I enjoyed thoroughly. But I definitely don't recommend anybody watching the Super Bowl like that. It was just too much intensity. What does that have to do with suffering? Now, now I, will, I will loop it back. But, but guys, about six weeks later, I received a DVD in the mail. A church supporter recorded that Super Bowl and, and, and sent it all the way to, uh, uh, around the world to me. You know, when I rewatched the game, this time with video, this time with sound and graphics, the intensity was gone. The frustration disappeared, but... The joy was elevated and magnified. I enjoyed watching that recorded game, not because there was video this time. I enjoyed watching it because I knew my team was going to win. Even when my team was down, I watched the video with a smile. The intensity was gone. The shouting, the beating on table was gone because I knew my team was going to win. What does this have to do with suffering? Guys, follow me on this. What if you're, hypothetically speaking, what if your team made it to the Super Bowl this year? And what if God somehow shows up in the locker room and guarantees your team that victory? Do you think if God says it doesn't matter what happens during the game, I will personally guarantee that after the last whistle blows, you guys will come out ahead? And win the Super Bowl. How do you think the players on your team will react to, to God's guarantee? Will they simply decide to take the morning off because God guaranteed it? Will they just take it easy and sleepwalk through the competition? No way. If you love the game, if you respect the game, you will run out of that tunnel ready to battle. You would hit the opposing player just a little harder. And when you get knocked down, you will get up just a little quicker with a smile on your face because you know that victory is guaranteed. You lose a player to injury, that's okay. The next man up. You, look, you will look at 
all the sweat and blood with joy because you know that God guaranteed the outcome in the game that you love. Guys, mission is hard. We all know that to finish the Great Commission will require blood and sweat. But the biblical response to suffering cannot be just suck it up. That's rely on the greatness of the human spirit. It cannot be that. And it cannot be that's rid ourselves of all expectation of comfort in this life. Just expect nothing so you will feel nothing. That cannot be the biblical response. Guys, suffering on the mission field is real. But we know the outcome already, don't we? Revelation 7 already has given us a glimpse of every nation, every tribe, every time, every language group coming together before God and the Lamb giving him that worship. Guys, Revelation 7 isn't just a worship. It marks the completion of the Great Commission. The victory is guaranteed. When God one day will gather all of his people before him so that we can give him the praise that is due him. So any discussion, guys, any discussion about suffering needs to be grounded on the unwavering sovereignty of God, who in all circumstances, even in suffering, is still actively working to gather all people, to gather his people. God is not absent. To use another sports analogy, guys, the game is fixed. God guarantees the outcome of the Great Commission. And our response to suffering, our response to hardship, needs to be shaped by God's ultimate victory over suffering. So I want to say three things about suffering today. Um, Suffering, number one, is a necessity. Number two, suffering is a tool. And number three, Suffering is a blessing, is a necessity, it is a tool, it is a blessing. Edoniram Justin, the first American missionary, said this, there is no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it is because someone has suffered before you. If you sacrifice without success, it is because someone will succeed after Guys, suffering is a necessity. In order to reach the last remaining unreached language groups, God's people, we need to be ready for suffering. We need to be expecting it. Brooks said that this morning they are the least reached or last reached for a reason. Um, it's, not just, um, it's not just because of their location. The people um, who don't have the gospel today, most of them don't want you there. Uh, missionaries often have to learn one or two or even three languages to full adult fluency so that we could communicate the gospel with clarity to them. Living on um, the mission field puts a lot of strain on our family, our kids, parenting. It is high stress living the moment you hop on that one-way, um, that one-way ticket um, overseas. All that is to t- say suffering is normative. We need to be expecting it. And God, but, but, but you guys know this, though. You guys know suffering is hard. I mean, you guys know missions is hard. You guys, we, we, we all know missions and suffering are somewhat synonymous. But the problem facing the church today is, yes, we could teach that suffering is a necessity. And we will all nod in agreement. Because we all know that missions is hard. But the reality facing the church today is, We are teaching it to a generation where suffering for them, for the young people of today, is simply not normative. We're not expecting it. I remember picking up a young missionary family um, on the the mission field one time. Uh, They walked off the airplane, and right away, the guy uh, asked me, the young man asked me a question. He asked me, hey, where is the most remote, the remotest tribal group? Um, in this region. That's where we want to go. And, and um, I was thinking, man, that, that's, um, well, that's exactly why our organization was there for. So, so that's not bad. I, I mean, I, I like this guy's heart. It's like, where is the most remote place? Uh, where do they live? That's where we want to go. And pretty quickly, he popped the second question. Well, how do we get internet um, in the jungle? How do we get internet in the jungle? 
Guys, um, this missionary family have become good friends of mine, and, and he's become a good, good, uh, solid church planner, and he's still on the field serving today. But suffering as a necessity was a lesson this guy had to learn early in this missionary career. First Peter 4, 12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. That suffering is a surprise, uh, suffering is a necessity, cannot be a surprise to us. In the last two years in the pandemic, I know you guys are kind of slowly coming out of it or finally come out of it in Asia where I, uh, I'm currently serving. We're still kind of in the midst of it. But in the last two years during the pandemic, there were a slew of conferences, workshops, Zoom calls, articles talking about how this virus has changed the landscape of missions. Topics like redefining missions in the post-COVID world or new opportunities and strategies post-COVID. Um, that, 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 was, that kind of filled the mission circle in Asia in the last two years. Yes, guys, we need to talk about some difficult realities, border shutdowns, uh, visa situations, the, the, the decline in church attendance and giving. But, but in many of these discussions talking about a post-COVID landscape, how we need to face the new age of missions, a lot of, these, um, a lot of these conferences, they have the underlying conclusion or the premise that, that, that we need to pivot. The church needs to pivot because COVID has taken away some of the conveniences that we have enjoyed in the last 40, 30, 40 years. Therefore, we need new strategies for world mission and vision. We need to be more mobile. We need to be faster. We need to figure out a way how to reach the least um, reach people groups through social media. Guys, in Asia, where I served in the pre-COVID days, this is June. If, uh, in July, in most um, major Asian cities, um, in the pre-COVID days, especially in the summers, if you go to a night market in any major Asian cities, you're usually going to find a group of young American college, young adults on their short mission team. They're checking out the local food. They're shopping. I, I mean, they're, 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 they're doing their tourist thing um, on the last day before they fly back to the U.S. If we're talking about redefining missions in the post-pandemic world because we're so used to the conveniences of short-term mission trips, we need to be reminded, guys, that cheap international airfares, tourist visas, quick turnarounds, that's respond to the Great Commission while, by giving a week of our lives on the short mission trip. Those things are a blip, simply a blip in the history of missions, in the history of the church. None of those things were even available 30, 40 years ago. Missionaries past have always had to deal with viruses and visas. Um, viruses and diseases. Most of them did not have vaccines or proper medicine. Borders were not always open or welcoming. From the time the church in Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas to 2022, what I'm trying to say is, yes, COVID has an impact on world missions, but the job is still the same. Do not be surprised that it is hard to send people out. Let's not be so quick in holding conferences and start, start talking about post-pandemic um, mission landscape. We still need gospel ambassadors to count the cost and lay down their lives for the nations. We still need long-term incarnational witnesses for the gospel. We still need to plant mature indigenous churches in the least reached places in the world. Guys, the job is the same. The cost is the same. Suffering is necessary. Uh, will always be necessary. Um, sometimes we don't feel that because we just gotten so comfortable with the conveniences in the last 30 years. With or without COVID, guys, they are realities that missionaries will have to face on the field. That's difficult. That's stress-inducing. Uh, learning a new language. Uh, takes work. A lot of times, you not only need to learn one, you need to learn two. 
So missionaries have to navigate through the difficult season of being a student, being not, just not being able to communicate and having to learn one, you got to tackle the second, the second one. Uh, and you're aiming for adult level fluency. So you're not only putting in five hours, 10 hours a week, you're putting in 20, 30, 40, 50 hours a week just so that one day you could speak like an adult. Uh, before the people that you're sharing the gospel with. And that takes sacrifice. Suffering in staying long term to see the church planted. For those who are th- among us who are thinking about missions, you need to know that going is hard. I know what you guys are going through right now. You're thinking about, well, what agency do I go with? Can I get my church to support me? Well, how do I raise support? Going is hard. But guys, you guys need to know that going is hard, but staying is even harder. Staying is even harder. An agency leader in Asia recently told me that they have changed the length of their um, definition of long-term or career missions to three to five years. To three to five years. It it, it, It wasn't an easy decision for them, but he lamented that young people, that's, I asked him, why do you, I mean, three to five, that's like, that's, not, that's one term. And uh, he, he lamented and he said, but three to five years is just about the average length that young people are willing to give to missions today. And the most damaging aspect of this trend is because now you're defining career missions by this three to five windows, you're shifting now. Agencies now have to shift um, strategies to, hey, you know what? Uh, if you're only going to be there f- for three to five years, out goes language learning. You're just trying to do as many things as you could possibly do and try to get results. Guys, going is, is hard, but staying is even harder. When we define career missions as, you know, with a three- to five-year window, the best-case scenario would be converts without discipleship, temporary gatherings that don't turn into churches, and the worst-case scenario would be unreached, Language groups remaining unreached, heading to a Christless eternity, guys. Be ready to put in 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Go and stay. We need to know that suffering is a necessity. Suffering is a necessity. My second point, suffering, guys, is a tool. When we say suffering is a, is a means that God uses to accomplish his purpose, we know that tools are useful. Tools have a predetermined design. When you grab a screwdriver, you know what it is, it is designed to do. Tools have a predetermined design. And some people may take issue with what, what I just said. Wayne, are, are you saying suffering is good? See, if you could believe that suffering is a necessity and, and, and not believe and, and, and still take issues with what I just said. You could still believe, hey, you know what? We cannot avoid suffering. But, 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 but when you're saying if suffering is a tool, that means suffering, tools are good. Tools are useful. Tools have, you know, have an objective, have a predetermined design. It's got a purpose. Are you saying all these terrible things that's happened to me, they're actually doing something? They, they have a specific purpose? Guys, we all know that The church of God is founded upon a suffering servant. God nailed his son to the cross for our sins so that we can be reconciled to him. And ever since that day on the cross, suffering has always been God's instrument in reclaiming and redeeming the nations. In Acts chapter 8, we see the great persecution broke out in Jerusalem. And that's when we see Jesus' followers um, going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and starting, um, starting their migration, starting the gospel spread to the ends of the earth. Peter goes even further in chapter 4, in 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Arming ourselves means 
Suffering is not just a defensive tool. It's not just an episode that happened in your life, but it is a weapon. It is something that God actively allows his people to experience, and God uses it for a purpose. Our primary text today would be from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you have the Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul said to the Corinthian, Corinthian church, In chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. Paul says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Verse 12, So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul says death is at work in his life. This is how he carried Jesus' death um, in his life. Um, You don't need to turn there, but we all remember in, in, in chapter 11 of the same book, Paul gave a list of the hardships that he went through. He was flogged more severely. He was exposed to death again and again. Forty uh, five times I received from the Jews, 40 lashes minus one. He was beaten with rods, pelted with stones, shipwrecked, danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from his fellow Jews, danger from the Gentiles. At the end, he says, but above, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Uh, Paul listed all these episodes of suffering and hardship. And, and Paul says, I see these things. This is how I carry the death of Jesus in me. And, and these things are at work in my life. Death is at work. It is a tool. And in verse 15 of chapter 4, Paul says this, All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now, Paul is saying all these things, the shipwrecks, the the, the robberies, the, the pelting, the lashing, the beatings, the imprisonments, all these things, he says, it is for your benefit. Living cross culturally is hard, but it is for a benefit. Saying goodbye to parents is Hard. It's heartbreaking sometimes, but it is for a purpose. Learning a new language, making new friends, navigating a foreign city, trudging through the dog days of learning language, getting malaria, facing homesickness, having your teenage kids begging every day, can we go back to suburban America? These are real hardships, but Paul says it is for your benefit. It is for your benefit. In verse 15, it says, it is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people, this is for your benefit so that the, so that the, the grace is reaching more and more people. Let's stop here. The grace that is reaching more and more people, isn't that the, isn't that the ultimate purpose for missions, that the gospel of grace would be reaching more and more people. But if you look at verse 15, Paul says, well, that's not the ultimate purpose. That's simply a clause. Paul keeps on saying that suffering is for our benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And we need to ask, where is this thanksgiving coming from? Sometimes we see missions as something that, that we, the believers, do for them. We with the gospel, those without the gospel. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Where is this thanksgiving in verse 15 coming from? It's not just from the people receiving the gospel of grace, but it is coming from all of God's people, including the senders and goers. So the, so the church Sending out missionaries to save those souls is not the ultimate purpose of missions. We commit to missions because the unreached, us unreached language groups coming to Christ, the, 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 the coming to Christ will cause all of us to offer up thanksgiving for the glory of God. 
Guys, so suffering is not just a tool to reach more and more people. Suffering is a tool to cause God's church to offer up glory to him, to be overflowing with thanksgiving to the glory of God. So in Paul's mind, suffering is not only a necessity, it is a tool. It is not just an obstacle that he needs to overcome, but it is a tool that's actively working in our lives um, to bring the gospel to the nations. Missions is not just for them, but it's for all of God's people. Um, Our team, we spent about four years learning two languages, and uh, we finally presented the gospel to uh, to the BM people in 2012. So the church was born in 2012. Initially, we had about um, 12, uh, about 20 believers in 2012. And right away, these baby first-generation believers faced persecution and hardship from, uh, from the village. Uh, some were ridiculed. Some kids were beat up. Um, a, a lot of people were just... Um, um, ostracized by, by their clans and families. Following Jesus in our people group um, means paying a pretty hefty, uh, hefty price. About six months after the church was born, uh, our team started teaching the book of Acts, uh, kind of taking them into the early church and, 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 and helping them to see that, hey, they're not alone. There's another group of people just like you following Jesus. So as we started teaching the book of Acts, one Sunday afternoon, I heard a knock on my door. Yeah. And, and I went out, and uh, this believer, again, he's just been, he's a, the, among the first believers uh, in our people group, and, and he was a fisherman. He was ripped. I mean, this was a hard, hard man. I really seen him smile. But on that day, he was, he was sitting outside my door, and he had the biggest smile on his face. And I said, hey, what, hey Max, what's up? And, and he said, Wayne, I was, I, was stay, I, you know, I was at home reading the book of Acts. And, uh, and, and, and I realized what's happening in the book of Acts, it's happening to me too. So I was just so happy I needed to find a fellow believer. I needed to find another Christian to share it with. So I couldn't find anybody, so I just kept on walking and I got to your house. He said, I'm so happy because what was happening in the book of Acts, you know, was ha- is happening in my life. And in the back of my, my mind, you know what I was thinking? Is this guy raising people from the dead? Is he performing miracles? Like, my missionary training didn't cover this. Like, what do I do? Uh, it, it just, but, um, but I didn't, obviously, didn't say that to him. And then he kept on sharing. He said, Wayne, I, I'm reading this book and I'm seeing Satan's people persecuting God's people. And the same thing is happening on an island. On this island, Satan's people are persecuting me. They're giving me a hard time. And by reading this, this proves that I belong in God's family. And that's all I have to share, Wayne. I'm so happy. I had to tell somebody. That's all I had to share. I'm going now. Bye. And, and he, just, he just walked away. That's, that's very culturally um, and it's, it's, it's hard to explain. He said, that's all I want to share. I'm very happy. Bye. He just walked away. Guys, I, I, I have never heard anybody else um, describing um, hardship. And, and, and I knew what he was going through. I stood there in awe. I have no choice but to give thanksgiving to the glory of God. The world says when there is suffering, God is absent. But the Bible says when there is suffering... His glory is magnified, and God is actively working. The gospel we proclaim was accomplished by a suffering Messiah on the bloody cross. And three days later, out of an empty tomb, secured for us eternal life. And suffering is a tool to cause God's people to give glory to him. And suffering is a tool that God uses to gather his people. So, so guys... Suffering is a necessity, and suffering is a tool. And finally, suffering is a blessing. Suffering is a blessing. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes 
not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Guys, suffering and hardship are real. Going back to Paul's list of hardships, shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments, betrayals, they were real historical events. They leave scars. They hurt. But, call, but Paul calls them light and momentary. These are light and momentary afflictions. When missionaries get to the field, man, you get hit with waves, with that first wave of foreign, strange, unfamiliar senses. New smells, new sounds, chatters, conversations all around you that you can't decipher. That ability to read the room, gone in this new context. Everything becomes stress-inducing. Simple task is going to a restaurant or grocery store. It becomes not just an adventure but a horror show because you, 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 just, you know you're not going back the week after. You know you're there to stay. You're there to learn the language. You don't have a seasoned mission or you don't have programs planned out for you. You are there on a one-way ticket and you're not going home anytime soon. And guys, we all have a fight or flight mechanism building, don't we? Or a better example would be, would be our pain avoidance nature. You put your hand on a hot stove, you're going you're gonna to jerk it away because you feel pain. Those early days on the mission field often make or break a missionary's career. Do you stay in the uncomfortable or do you run to the familiar? Do you run to where all the foreign missionaries hang out? Or do you, do you get a translator to tag along with you and help you with every simple, small task? Do you retreat back to your new apartment, put in an AC unit, hook up to the internet, and just Netflix your life away on the field. That's, that, that, those are real decisions that new missionaries have to face. We all have that pain, avoidance, nature built in us. Uh, I use this story quite a bit. Um, 30, 40 years ago in Taiwan, where I grew up, in town, in my town, we had the first ever TGI Friday in Taiwan. And um, that was 30, 40 years ago. And uh, the joke goes, back in the days, if you wanted to hear a gospel presentation, that's where you go. Because all the missionaries would hang out in TGI Friday. <laughs> Guys, fight or flight. That's a daily choice. And that's just living, guys. We're just talking about living cross-culturally. But when that first case of malaria hits, when your kids are begging daily that they want to go home, when your language helper, whom you thought was your friend, you found out that day he's been stealing from you. Somebody touched your wife inappropriately on a crowded city bus. Your marriage is strained. Your business partner, national business partner, lied to you and stole your money. Your marriage is strained because of constant uh, high-stress living, and fight or flight. The first family sent out by Radius Asia to Africa, six months after six months of constant struggle, just living life, they finally found a routine and settled in. And then the national election happened. They found out the rebel army was moving, uh, was marching toward their city. What do you do? What do you do, guys? You pack up your home, you pack up your kids, you move to another city for a season, and then after, um, after the uh, election blows over, you move back and, and you start from square one. Fight or flight. Guys, we all make decisions, whether we know it or not, we all make decisions according to our theology. What we understand and believe about God guides our decision-making process. Every missionary candidate needs to establish a solid biblical theology of suffering before buying that one-way ticket. Nobody, guys, enjoys suffering and pain. Everybody will choose flight if suffering is all there is. If suffering is not a tool, if suffering is not a blessing, then everybody will choose flight. 
if a missionary starts compiling a list of hardships that, that they endure as a reason to pack it up and go back, everybody will be gone. But Paul says, Paul says, all these are light and momentary afflictions. But Paul doesn't stop there, does he? Suffering is not just light and momentary. It is a blessing because Paul says, for our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Do not miss the for us. In verse 15, the previous verse, Paul says, through suffering, the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. God uses suffering for himself, for his glory. But, but now in verse 17, Paul says, now th- these light and momentary aff- afflictions are achieving for who? For us, an eternal way to glory that far outweighs them all. For, for us, if it is for us, if it is something that God prepared for us, then it is a blessing. Then it is a blessing. Back in early 2011, uh, my whole family, we were on the mission field. Uh, at that time, we, uh, I just finished language study. We, have, um, we, we had not presented the gospel to our people yet. We, our, our team was finishing off um, some Bible translation, um, gospel presentation, preparation. So we had not presented the gospel in 2011 in April. Uh, after I finally passed um, the final language check for my second language, um, my wife found out that uh, she, she found a lump uh, on her chest. Uh, we flew back home to have it checked out. I remember vividly, we, uh, we landed on a Wednesday. We went to see the doctor on Thursday, and the doctor said, well, can you come in for surgery on Friday? And uh, we said, well, at least give us a weekend. So... Um, long story short, my wife was diagnosed. Uh, she was not yet 40 uh, at that time. Uh, she was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer um, at that time. How whole world got turned upside down. Guys, know this. I, I had just become one of the three people in this world that could speak that language. Our team was ready to present the gospel um, to this people group. What was God's purpose in this? We all knew, like we knew, our family knew missions would be hard. We, we, we knew that, man, suffering is a necessity, but you can never get ready for something like that. Um, so my wife went through a chemo. She had the surgery. She had radiation. It took about a year for us um, to, um, to, to, to treat the cancer, to make sure it was taken care of. And then in 2012, um, we went back. Uh, we went back to, to, uh, to the mission field. And right before the gospel presentation, uh, a local man um, came to me and he said, Wayne, I don't know what you missionaries are going to tell us. You guys say you guys have a message. I don't know what you guys are going to tell us, but I know this. I know it has to be an important talk because your wife got sick and then you still came back. Your message has got to be important. Guys, suffering is a tool. God uses it for his cause to cause thanksgiving to eventually overflow to the praise of his glory among this people group and also in our own lives. I wish the story stopped there, guys, but, um, but it doesn't. Um, the, um, we presented the gospel. The church was born. We spent the next six years on discipleship, Bible translation, Leadership training, we appointed five elders at the end of um, 2016, and, um, and our team decided, hey, that's our ministry with this people group is about to come to an end. And it was at that time um, that we found out that my wife's cancer has metastasized to, uh, to, to all of her bones, I mean, from the skull down to... The vertebrae bumped down to a pelvis. She's, she was slapped with the terminal cancer label. And um, uh, back in, um, so we went back to, uh, to say goodbye to the church one last time. My wife, oh, she's still sitting here. She's still with us. I just want to make sure you, you guys know that. But um, we went back to see the church in 2017 just to say goodbye to them. And that was my, la- my wife's last trip to see the church. And, and I remember vividly, 
Um, she got to the island, a bunch of church ladies gathered around her. And, 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 and this is what they said to her. They, they said to Gail, you know, when, when you first got sick, they were referring to the first time my wife got cancer. Um, these church ladies said, you know, the, the first time you got sick, Gail, we were sad. We were crying. Wayne showed us your picture. But, but man, we were unbelievers then. Uh, we were unbelievers at that time. But you were our friends, so, so we were crying hard for you. But this time, man, we are believers now. And this time, Gil, when we heard that you got sick again, they didn't really understand, you know, like the whole cancer details. But, 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 but they know my wife got sick again. Um, but these church ladies said, well, this time when we heard you got sick, we cried a little bit. But we're not nearly as sad as last time. Because, Gail, we feel like God extended your life to the point where, you know, we were unbelievers then and we heard the gospel and we still needed missionaries to disciple, to grow, to teach us. So, so, so God allowed a season um, in your life just to, to spend with us. And now we're ready to become independent. You guys are ready to go. And this is when God allows the cancer to come back. And so, so we're sad for you. But, but man, one of the ladies said, man... God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. Guys, how do you get away with saying, saying that to a terminally, um, to, to, to somebody who has terminal cancer? These believers look at it from their perspective that God kept my life, kept my wife alive just so that they would be discipled um, to Maturity for them, the value of a life is not whether it's not it, it doesn't it, it's not it doesn't depend on how long she lives or how healthy the body is. The way they look at a life is the life not wasted, guys. For our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There was a season where my in, in our family where we were just absolutely crushed to find out. My wife got cancer before she was 40. And we were rocked again five years later when we got the terminal cancer label. But I will never forget what these ladies said. God's timing is perfect. His beautiful and unwavering sovereignty has become an anchor for our family. There is a greater glory, a greater gift than a cancer-free body. What I learned from these first-generation believers, the value of a life does not depend on how long one lives or how healthy one's body is. They view the value of life on one, if, if that life is used for God's glory. Guys, suffering is a necessity. Suffering is a tool. And suffering is a blessing. Suffering has always been the benchmark of missionaries' past. The task is difficult. It remains daunting, guys. But the victory is won. Finally, guys, I want to close with some practical points to the church. Churches, pastors, teach your people to suffer well. And the best way to teach on suffering is not by going around and look for some object lessons or, 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 or teach um, psychological coping mechanisms. The best way to teach suffering and how we can suffer well is to teach the gospel and to spotlight eternity. Paul says in the following verse, so that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, the gospel the whole gospel strips away of any claims to rights that is so natural to us. I have this right to be happy, to be healthy, to be worry-free. We don't usually say this, but this thinking is so pervasive. A work-based salvation understanding is so big on this, right? God, I have done this for you, so now it's your turn to do something for me. And this erroneous view of salvation leads to an erroneous view of suffering. See, if salvation can be earned, then certainly a life of safety and health can also be expected. But the gospel says Christ died for our sins while we were dead in our trespasses. People who think they can earn salvation by works, they have no explanation for suffering. People who think they can earn God's favor by works, 
they do not run to grace when they face hardship because this formula of transaction in the head stopped working. Guys, teach your people to suffer well by preaching the gospel, by preaching the gospel. Another necessary component to teach God's people to suffer well is by spotlighting eternity. There's a lot of talk, guys. I'll finish with this. There's a lot of talk on the rise of the church in the global south. And yes, we're seeing a rapid growth of non-Western churches in the world. But what's not often mentioned is that so much of the health and wealth gospel and the attractional model of church and preaching have also trickled out from the West to uh, the rest of the world. There's an old saying that the church needs to meet people where they are. And nobody is going to dispute that. Jesus met people where they are. Jesus met people at the place of sin. But a lot of times in this attractional model of church, in this health and wealth gospel, we have replaced this place of sin where Jesus meets people with our place of appetite and our place of desire and our wants. So a lot of times, guys, this is the biggest issue we face as we're in Asia training the next generation of missionaries, that a lot of these young people in Asia, they've grown up with gospel light. They've grown up with the health and wealth, the attractional model of of church, and they're uh, just utterly not ready uh, for a life of consecration, for a life of laying it down for the cross. So, guys, pastors, teach your people to suffer well by teaching the gospel, the whole gospel, and spotlight, spotlight um, eternity. Missions is hard, but the victory is won. Be ready for suffering. It's a necessity. It is a tool. It is a blessing. Let me close again with Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4.15. All this is for your benefit. All this The difficult days, the tears, the sweat, the blood, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to rejoice well. Teach us to rejoice even in suffering. Father, in all circumstances, uh, we pray that you will get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.